This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here, coming to you live from a bathroom at my parents' house. Look, I hope you all had a wonderful holiday season, and I am unbelievably excited to uh, have gotten to have this next conversation that you're about to hear. Carmen Maria Machado is a huge deal right now, you know, but just as a human, but I mean, dang, really crushing it, and I I couldn't believe that she found time in her schedule to talk with me, and um, anyway, I hope you enjoy this chat. And talk to you soon. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Sh- sure. Should I say anything in particular or just my name? See, that's what's exciting is it's, oh, a, tr- it's a choose your own adventure. <laughs> and I and you get to say whatever feels relevant or what what you'd like to say about yourself today. Okay. Uh my name is Carmen Maria Machado and I am a writer. You are a writer. I am. <laughs> yeah, I feel like um you know, I have no idea what your perception of yourself is, but it feels to me as an outsider that like you've had a pretty phenomenal couple of years. Yeah, I'd yeah. say that's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um just you know, I'm assuming I I kind of like deliberately don't dig into guests past and and history. I'm assuming that you just didn't like pick up a pen. I was going to say pen. You don't write with a pen. No, I write that's on my not, computer. Yeah. But, um <laughs> but can you talk to me about like what's happening right now in your life? Yeah. I mean, I just had a new book come out um, called In the Dream House. It's a memoir, which just came out on November 5th. Um, And actually, today is the first day that a comic book that I wrote has just dropped, like today. Oh, my goodness. Um, How, what a privilege that I get to spend some time with you on this book. Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So that's pretty exciting. So that's, I live in Philadelphia. That's, I don't know, that's that's my life right now. Right. You live in Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. um, which is something I did know. And, um, what, I'm just going to assume that you are a, uh, full-time writer at this point in your life. <laughs> no, I'm not. I wish. I think most, most people are not full-time writers, I think. I think it's very unusual, actually. Well, then talk to me about what you, what you are doing with the rest of your time. Um, I mean, I teach, so I teach at Penn. Um. I've heard of it. Which I, yeah. <laughs> Ever heard of it? <laughs> it's a regional college. Um, yeah. anyway, yes, no. I teach there. You teach at Penn. And that's what gives me my health insurance, which is so great. And I also do, like, I mean, yeah, I, I write books and I also do a lot of like events like traveling so that's kind of how I make my income it's kind of a mix of a mix of things yes yeah I think I I think I um how are you able to maintain that schedule how are you able to actually write oh I mean I have to I don't I don't write when I'm doing all those things and then when I'm not doing those things then I write so actually next year I'm taking off of teaching and I'm um I'm gonna be 
well, I have foot surgery, and then after the foot surgery is over and I'm recovering, then I get to work on this new book that I'm, I'm writing. So, yeah, so I feel like um, I just have to, like, take time off and be like, now I'm writing making something beautiful. And then in the in-between, it's like if I have to go to the dentist or I have to, like, go work or teach or do whatever, I can't focus on my work. So, Well, thank you for saying that. It makes me feel like you are a human <laughs> and that also my troubles are shared by others. <laughs> yeah, I feel like people always say, like, everyone, you should write every day. And I'm like, I don't write every day. Like, I barely write. I barely wrote this year at all. You know, like, I think it's just, Really? Yeah. Oh, my. Thank you for saying this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so I, uh, yeah, I think I, I write when I need to. And then I, when I do that, I, like, literally go off into the wilderness, just like a real weirdo, and just, like, focus on what I'm doing. And, and In the Dreamhouse came out in November. And then yes. Her Body and Other Stories came out. Other Parties. Uh, other Parties. Yes. And, uh, yes. Her Body and Other Parties came out in 2017? Yes, that's yes. correct. Uh-huh. So that was— Two years back to back mm-hmm. of putting out material. Yes. Were those written at, in the, in like, for instance, I would even say in that order. Were those <laughs> written in that order? They were written in that order. Yeah. So, I, I mean, the first book took maybe five years of my life. And I mean, I was writing other stuff too that didn't end up in the book. Um, so there was, there was that. And then as I was editing Her Body and Other Parties, I began working on the memoir. And so I was sort of moving back and forth between sending in edits to my editor, like I'd send him a draft and he would get back to me in like a week and then I would just work on this project. Um, And then I sold the memoir right before the collection came out. And then I edited it. And by that, I mean, I added 150 pages and like radically restructured the whole thing um, last year for like six months. So basically like May through November or December, I was just... I was in two different <laughs> wilderness settings, um, having existential <laughs> crises of various kinds and uh, finishing the book. And I can't believe that I fucked up the title only because it is it is a genius title. <laughs> Thank you. It's okay. <laughs> but it is. It's a, it's a – it feels like um, – yeah, I mean, I just, I actually remember like the first time I like read that, I mm. was thinking, like, oh my God, what a, like, yes, okay, I understand what perhaps is going to happen uh-huh. um, within these, between these covers or whatever. Um, and so I guess. Were you correct? Yeah, okay. I was kind of correct, okay. actually. <laughs> yeah, have you listened to the audiobook of the collection no I have not I've listened to it in like little pieces but mm-hmm. I uh I did I did the, my own audiobook for the memoir mm-hmm. um which was really fun and interesting but yeah I did not listen to the to the first book did did you I did oh interesting yeah. okay um <laughs> it's you know it's it's uh it's like beautifully done it's it's, yeah. it's it's there's no there's no like negative review coming okay. like um, more so just curious because somebody is somebody else is reading yeah. your words and I just didn't know well, how I, that might feel I mean I thought about it I thought about doing it myself but at the time I I think I felt like not ready or not and also I was just very tired I feel like I'm tired sort of all the time um so I was like well let someone else do it it's fine and then for the memoir I, I got a couple of like sample narrators and I listened to them and I was like eh like I'm not crazy about any of these, and also this book is so personal. I mean, they're all personal, but it it was so personal that I felt as if I wanted to make sure that I read it exactly as I wanted to. 
So right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think also it's it's a huge assumption that that I think right now so many people are like touching and involved with every single aspect of their work in a way that wasn't maybe necessarily assumed. Like in the past, maybe the person writing the book wouldn't necessarily be presumed to be like a great audio performer. But I feel like I feel like now <laughs> Well, I did have to send in a sample like that, for to, them to get, to your get own my job. own book. Which that I was, makes sense to me. Which I, I mean, felt a little bit I mean I'm not a performing artist, so I was sort of, they were like, you just said like an audition. I was like, you mean like an audition? Oh my God. But tape? then was it sent back to you and you <laughs> listened to it and approved it? <laughs> no, it was like, I don't know, they like I just recorded it on my iPhone yeah. and then I and then I like listened to it. And I was like, I guess it sounds okay. And then right. I just sent it to like my agent or whoever and then it got passed and then they, and they come back to me and they were like okay I guess you can read your own book and I was like God, that is great so I'm really glad that um, they didn't turn me down because they would have felt like real like shit I would have felt oh really my God. bad yeah, I can't even if they imagine. had done that so but but you know what I'm saying it's it's a I think there's a big presumption nowadays that like it's that we're that anybody in a creative field is able to do all sides oh, of the sure. creative field. Sure, sure, sure. Be, yeah. be competitive with mm-hmm. everyone else who does all those things. Yeah. Like you should be as good at reading your book as like a professional actor and right. then also be able to write and then also write on a daily basis and then also while you're teaching. So you're like <laughs> teaching, writing, and being <laughs> recorded all at the same time. You yeah. Know, like I think that's sort of sometimes the expectations. So it's very nice to hear from you this like sort of maybe more reasonable version of a life, which is uh, that you haven't done every possible thing no. all stacked up on top of each other, thus brace it, breaking the space-time continuum. <laughs> you know? I'm trying to get better about saying no to things because I think I also have, I'm a very, I can, I'm an oldest child, I'm very type A, and I want to do everything like correctly and exactly how I want it. But also I recognize that that way lies madness. Like mm-hmm. I can really drive myself into a hole of, stress if I do that. And I have done that in the past. So I know, I think I'm getting better about saying, nah. <laughs> Yeah. So the, the students that take your classes, uh-huh. do they read your work? So it really depends. I don't really talk about my work, except if I'm talking about like sometimes I'll talk about like craft. Like I'll say like, oh, like I remember when I wrote this one story, I was thinking about like this, I had this problem and I was trying to figure it out. So I'll talk about it like that. But <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I've never, like, I don't, I don't like, I don't assign it or anything like that. Um, but, and I, but I feel like the more I've taught, the more they, they do read it. So like this semester on the day that my book came out, my, the memoir came out, like I had class that day and I just went into class and taught. And then at some point a student was like, excuse me, like, isn't, isn't your book out today? Your new book. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, oh, oh. And then someone like, oh yes, congratulations. And like, I had some students read it like, in the last month of class and then, like, talk to me about it. Um, yeah, so I've, it has happened occasionally. I mean, I try not to talk about it unless they want to come in and, like, explicitly discuss it with me because, like, I'd rather teach other stuff, obviously. I'm not going to teach no, my own I don't writing, think that's but, obvious at all, actually. Oh. I'm, I don't mean, but I just think, um, well, this is, like, you know, this is an outside perspective on what you're doing, but it, it just does, it seems to me like you're, um, really inhabiting like some space right now in the in the world of literature and mm. writing that like there I don't I don't know who you consider your comps to be but I but it feels as if you maybe 
taking up some space that is otherwise not occupied. I'm just like letting you fin- finish the sentence because I'm like, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. So like I'm imagining you're in, you know, you're like, well, what classes do you teach? Um, this semester, <clears throat> excuse me, this semester I taught just like an intro to speculative fiction class, like non-realism. And then mm. last semester I taught haunted house, like the literature of haunted houses. It was really That's fun. So fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, speculative, speculative fiction, exactly. So I just am like imagining any other person making that syllabus and I feel like you are on the syllabus, but maybe not in your own <laughs> class. Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, no, I think my book, I mean, my book actually, I know gets taught a lot because I think that's been, like, I feel like I always see like a spike of sales, like right around like school. It's like semester Oh my times, God, sure, absolutely. Which is like super interesting. And I'm always like, oh, and then like, I get invited to do a lot of like events at schools and they'll be like, oh, we were teaching the book in this class or this class, um, which is really flattering and really lovely. Right. Um, yeah, I guess I don't know. I guess I don't have a great sense. Like when you say like, what space do you inhabit? I don't actually know exactly. I think I haven't quite, I don't register it. I just go home and play Zelda and make dinner. Um, <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, I think I what know. I'm talking about more specifically is like, at least, at least, um, you know, like speaking just about her body and other parties, it's like, there's like some like ghost story. Uh, what is the word I'm looking for? The like tales. Uh, uh, what are the ones that gothic? There's there's a gothic feeling, uh-huh. but there's also like, uh, oh my god, like that shit that with the hook on the roof. Oh, urban legend. Urban legend. Thank you. <laughs> I couldn't remember the phrase urban legend. <laughs> um, there's that going on. There's also some like maybe almost. Um, like, I don't know, sci-fi-ish type yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's feminist and it's also, um, like, graphically describes experiences that many women have and mm-hmm. many folks with um, who've had, like, body trauma have. And mm-hmm. so I just feel like that's an unusual combination. Um but maybe it maybe it's not to you. Maybe to you that's not an unusual combination. Yeah. I mean, I think I mean I'm operating, I think, in a tradition, like a very specific tradition of like women, like women writers writing like body horror. Right. You know, like Angela I feel like Angela Carter, right, is like somebody who I, I think about a lot, who you know is doing this and like died when I was a small child. Like, you know, she's been she was doing this a long time ago. And um and I feel like the history of like science fiction and fantasy and horror sort of just like Stitch with all these women who, I don't know, like, we're doing really important work and I feel like don't always get as acknowledged. Like, I always, like, really hammer, um, I'm really into Shirley Jackson. Like, she was, she's really special to me and she's a writer. You know, people are like, oh, I've read the lottery in school, but, like, that's usually it, right? And um, and I, I feel like we're always trying to, I feel like I'm always waiting for her to have her moment and she, like, occasionally gets close. But I'm like, she's, like, one of the greatest horror writers of, like, the 20th century and, like, we barely talk about her. We don't talk about her the way we should be. Um, yeah, I, I would not have even known. I, of course, I know the lottery. Yeah, I would not yeah, have yeah. actually known that person's name. That's I mean, how, that's devastating. Like, The Haunting of Hill House is, like, a perfect novel. It's, like, the scariest book I've ever read in my entire life. And it is literally perfect, which is not easy to do. And, yeah, she just doesn't – like, even when they made the they made the movie – or they made the Netflix, the series, like, they made the, the writer character in that show into a man, which I was, like – Oh, no. Really? I was like, no, why? Why would you do that? Um, so, yeah, anyway, sorry, I could go on about that for a long time. No, but I think this is really I, interesting. Yeah, like, I just feel like I, so I, I, I feel like I, I, 
I think there's like a certain sensibility where it's like I'm bringing together like certain a certain recklessness or like um, promiscuousness with genre mixed with like queer feminism mixed with sex mixed with like certain engaging with certain like urban legends or fairy tales um, mixed with like sort of metafiction and sort of like a high sort of like literary sensibility. I think I, it's like, that is like a thing that I do, but I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm like operating in, in a space that like, I think has been like sort of carved for me by like, or like Samuel Delaney, who's like a queer sci-fi writer. Like, you know, there's a lot of writers who came before me who did that. Um, and I feel like I got really lucky that I got to just like come together in a moment where people then got really excited about like what I was putting down, which was nice. Right. I mean, I can absolutely relate to what you're talking about just in terms of, um, like, I know the names of the lesbian comics that aren't Ellen, yeah. you know, yeah. like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and um, yeah. so, like, I didn't invent this thing, um, but but it's interesting to exist at a time where you're getting some different reward or some different notice. Yeah. Um, well, there, there's this really interesting, I don't know if you've ever read um, How to Suppress Women's Writing by Joanna Russ. It's no. this really, they just re-released a new edition of it, which is lovely, but it's this book that ever, I think everybody should read. And it's all about how artists, writers in particular, but also like artists of all kinds, like women writers and women artists and queer writers and people of color, like are constantly sort of rewriting their own like citations and they're constantly like that every between every generation like they get kind of wiped out and it's like sand being blown and then suddenly you're there like trying to like make the space that was there but like you can't see it because we pretend like there's no history we'll be like oh you're the first or you're the only absolutely or you're unique in this way but like she wrote it think saying like actually we all exist in this like mutual tradition and like the book is like obsessively cited and like it's I don't know it's like really interesting and I think yeah I think it happens in like all kinds of practices where yeah, people are like, oh, how does it feel to be the first whatever? And you're like, I'm definitely not. You know, like I'm I'm like in I a mean, long I line. for sure hear you, but then the other thing that I will say that goes with that is I know I'm not the first. And also in many cases I've been the only in mm -hmm. my experience. So yeah. it's like yeah, that yeah, yeah. dual-edged sort of like I'm not trying to um delete other people from the planet, right. you know, and I'm not trying to <laughs> overstate my importance. And there is still like a real loneliness and a real, yeah. um, like yeah. you're on your own yeah. setting up this new genre because if other people don't know about this other right. thing, right. then you still are the person they know. It's true. You're still yeah. there first. And that's yeah. like a very specific yeah. mantle. Do you feel like you experience that a lot of, of being somebody's like first person that they're talking to about, for instance, writing, like you said, like writing body horror and right. from a woman's perspective. Um, yeah, but ne almost never in a bad way. Like often it's actually just like, like I feel like I get a lot of young, like I feel like the, the sort of the biggest group of people that I meet at my events are like young queer people, like people who are like 19, 20, 21. And they're like, I've never read anything like this. And thank you so much for writing it. And that like means a lot to me. But then I always want to be like, it breaks my heart that like when you were in school or wherever you, you know, you weren't being given like other work by queer writers. Like that makes me like it both makes me feel like very flattered. And I'm like, I'm so glad like now I go out and check out these people. But like then I wonder like, oh, I'm like, oh, no, like, why are we not teaching this, this, and that, you know, like other queer writers, for example, like it just, I don't know. And it feels very, it does, I guess it is isolating and it also just kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. I feel like this is tangentially related, but, um, 
I saw this movie Wild Nights with Emily this oh year and like had um, the director on an mm. episode of this podcast and everything. You saw it. it no, was I was just you. told to watch it and I saw watch the trailer, lost my mind and then tried to find it somewhere and like it's not out on it's not out yet. Right. So I have just now missed it and I'm like very upset. Yeah, it'll come myself. it'll I'm sure it'll be I'm sure it'll be released and available, but I totally it is it is very good and it's a it, like it's very well done and well acted and it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it is also heartbreaking because um Molly Shannon plays uh, an Emily Dickinson that, like, gets to be in love and gets to be queer and gets to be a full human being. And I just think about that, like, even if we sometimes do break through the Pantheon, like, mm-hmm. Emily Emily Dickinson is somebody I read constantly at my college prep high school, <laughs> but uh, I had no Didn't idea yeah. what was really going on yeah. um, in her life. Yeah, I mean that. I remember when I learned that Eleanor Roosevelt was queer and had like a lover, um, who for meant for literally decades. Like, like I was like, wait, I'm sorry. I read a lot of books on first ladies, which is sort of a separate issue with me. But like, I read a lot of books about first ladies and like literally never learned that she had Lorena Hickok. Mm -hmm. Like she never, you know, and like, then I finally got to read their letters and I read, and it was like so hot and like beautiful. And I was like, so I was like reading and going like, why is it that no one ever told me this? Like, why did I find this out by accident? And I feel like I'm constantly like, yeah, like I'm constantly sort of learning by accident about like, especially like queer people of the past where like, and I'm like, I never knew, like no one ever told me. And like, what a, what a tragedy, like what a loss. Um, yeah, I don't know. And it just makes me feel, it just makes me feel really sad. I don't know. I don't know if I have anything more articulate to say about it, but yeah. Well, specifically this space that you're in and the, the subject matter that we're talking about you writing, it strikes me that you know, I had um, a special that I put out last year that's called Rape Jokes, and it's, like, just it's just an hour, um, like, not specifically about, not every moment of it is specifically about my experience with sexual assault, but it's, a, it's about, like, tracking um, my whole life to kind of get to a place where it makes sense and that this happened to me and, and, and why I think it happened, why I think I didn't know that it happened, mm-hmm. and... Um, you know, it felt really important to me to put it out because this is a subject that is so often explored in my field from like the vantage point of given that nobody in here has any experience with this. Is this funny? (laughs) Does anyone think this is funny? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know that statistically it's like, no, there's like people on the lineup and there's people in the room, like many people in the room that this is directly affected. And so anyway, that's just a way of saying that um, it makes sense that Specifically in the horror world, I mean, um, we really have not gotten very much space to tell our own stories Mm. there, Mm -hmm. even though so many of the things and Mm -hmm. themes are things that, like, statistically affect us a lot more. Yeah. So I guess I would be curious about, like— well, how did you even know this was something you were interested in? 
Oh, well, horror, I've always been interested in horror. Like, what was the stuff you were, you know, reading, watching, consuming? Um, when I was very small, so I I was, I was and am a deeply anxious person. Um, possibly I was even worse as a child. Relatable. <laughs> relatable um, content, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when we were like, we spent... <laughs> spent a minute talking about anxiety before you came but yes well also hypochondriac so I would um but but I was also sort of distinct in the sense that I was really afraid but I also would seek out the things that made me scared and so I would read like R.L. Stein, Christopher Pike, V.C. Andrews. Oh my God. Like all these this like, names. <laughs> Lois Duncan, like all these like really sort of pulpy like books, f- both for young people and not for young people. I also read like The Hot Zone by Richard Preston, which was like oh, sure. real bad. Um, so, so yeah, I got a real, I was really afraid of Ebola for a while. And like, although I don't know if you ever read like Lorraine McDaniel. Lorraine, Lorraine McDaniel. I'm not sure to say her name, but she wrote all these books about kids with cancer. No. Called like Six Months to Live. I want to live. <laughs> like, don't want to die. <laughs> similar. So the titles are, they're recapping <laughs> similar feelings. All the titles yeah, are recapping similar exactly. feelings. Yeah. So anyway, so I read, and I remember my mother, I mean, and I wouldn't sleep. Like I would like read them and then I would be up all night. And my mom would, you know, get mad at me and then she would take the books away. And then I would find other ways to get them. And I think there's something about, like, I feel like I can track sort of, like, the desire as a kid to read, like, scary stuff and sexy stuff. And then later, um, and, and like, work that sort of provoked. Because I, I wanted to be provoked. Like, I wanted my, like, emotional temperature to be, like, tweaked by something. So even though I was afraid, I wanted to feel. And I also think that's why I became, like, a very religious teenager. Like, I feel like it's that desire to sort of, like, feel something and feel like something has, like, reached inside of you and, like, you know, rung the bell. Uh, you know, it's like your esophagus and they pull on it and, like, your brain, you know, rings like a— It's just, like, horrifying and it's like— But you feel something and you're like, I'm, like, turned on and I'm scared and I'm upset, but I'm into it. Like, it's, you know— And I feel like that, for me, was, like, always what I wanted. And I wanted that even before I could articulate that. Like, I wanted that as a kid and I wanted it growing up. Up, and then I was like, maybe God is like the sexy, scary boyfriend or whatever. I don't know. You know, so the, those were the phases that I went through trying to sort of chase this. And then I think once I got to be a writer or once I started writing sort of more more intention, I mean, I always wrote, but like, then I got to actually like turn that in the other direction and say, cool, now I'm going to like take these scary, sexy things that upset me and like put them in front of other people and be like, do you see what I see? Um... And yeah, and I think that, that I mean, yeah, and I think it just comes from being, like, a deeply anxious human being and, like, writing about things that scare the pants off of me. Can yeah. you, are you interested in, like, horror movies, things oh, like yeah. that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, my big one this year is Midsommar, which I just, which I'm sure I'm saying incorrectly. I should just call it Midsommar. Anyway, I did, did you see it? Are you? So, I have a different relationship with this stuff <laughs> than you do. I mean, first of all, I've definitely, I definitely grew up um, like reading um R.L. Stein and, and Christopher Pike and definitely V.C. Andrews, oh. which is so fuck. Oh, that shit yeah. is so fucking strange. Yep. And yep. I like fully was on that journey. Uh, Did you a read- lot of arsenic around? Um, <laughs> Those books were. Did you read like the other series, like not just Flowers in the Attic, but like the Heaven series was one that I remember, where the kids get like sold and then she sleeps sleeps with her stepfather and then her stepmother like disembowels a hamster like in a bathtub it's like they're so they're so ridiculous I mean honestly maybe maybe but like what I really am struck by the like my sister would get them Mm -hmm. and then I would read my sister's books and 
and she was like, she's three years older than me. So it would be like stuff that was like um, above my uh, reading level. <laughs> uh-huh. And that was like why I was doing it. You know, mm-hmm. like I would just be like, I was just like, you know, whatever, how old are old? Nine, reading like <laughs> The Inheritors. Or, like, just like this like, bonkers shit. Like, yep, I get it. You know, like it's it was so intense. Um, but I read all that stuff super young. Um, I never graduated to like, like a Stephen King, like a more, like a, oh, sure, like an adult, yeah. like, mm-hmm. uh, I never got into, like, it's definitely was all like this pulpy or like scary stories to read at night. Like those things, like it was yeah. all on that side of things and much less like yeah. anything that had like hyper realism in it. Uh-huh. Um, how do you feel about horror now as an adult? And I can't watch it. Sure. But I'm still fascinated by the concept. So I, I haven't seen Midsummer or R, Midsummer, however you say it, but I have read every possible synopsis. <laughs> I watch the trailer and I look up film stills, but I can't watch the trailer with the sound on because the music is too scary. Uh-huh. So I watch the trailers on mute. <laughs> and if it's a really important movie that I think I definitely need to see, like for instance, this year I did this with Us, mm-hmm. what I will do oh. is spoil myself as much as possible. Uh-huh. Then I will watch it at an early time of day it's even better if it's at a public place I'll turn the subtitles on so like I watched I watched I watched us uh, at 9am on a plane with no headphones plugged into anything actually I think I was listening to like the Beach Boys or something I was like on my phone listening to something unrelated and watching and like that is how I can consume horror I'm fast I understand what you're talking about About the, like, I have, like, a real need to get in there, but I can't see it. I mean, it's good that you recognize your own sort of boundaries and needs in that in that process. Oh, um, my God. It's, it's, a whole, it's a whole thing. I, it's funny that you say that because I also, I have watched horror movies on planes, and usually they're, like, pretty, usually the ones that I've found are pretty bad, and so they're not scary at all. But there have been a, once I jumped, like, there was a, a jump scare, and I jumped so violently that I, like, woke up the person sitting next to me, and yes. was, they're like, what, what? And I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Sorry. I just, I just was watching a scary movie. Uh, uh, one that I <laughs> did this for was is it called A Quiet Place? Is, oh, is that the, yeah, whatever yeah, it's called? Yeah, with, the Quiet Place? Whatever yeah. it is. That movie is like the whole point of the movie is like no sound is happening. Right, but right. for me even less sound was <laughs> happening because I was not listening to, the, to audio oh tracks. Um, well, the um, it's funny you'd say this because my my wife <laughs> also is does not like horror, but she'll let me narrate horror movie plots to her. So <gasps> I'll go yes. see a movie with I have like several horror movie buddies who I will go with, and then I'll come back and she'll be like, "How was it?" And I'll be like, "Okay." So <laughs> and then I like sit down yes. and like, explain the entire plot to her, like beginning to end, and she'll be like, "Cool." Um, and then she has recently sort of actually we did she did let she was like, "I'll watch Mits because I love Midsummer so much," and it, I I had so many feelings about it, and I was talking about it like incessantly and she was like all right all right she's like I will watch it if you watch it with me and you tell me when the really gory stuff's gonna happen and I'll cover my eyes and I was like okay that's I agree to that to that system so we watched it that way where she you know covered her eyes for half the movie but she actually did really like it she was like oh that was actually a really good it was like a really but she also had read everything she'd heard me describe it like she knew everything that was gonna happen there were no surprises for her if you want You could let me know early in the schedule. <laughs> okay, I'll I can sh- I will show if you you know obviously 
it could even be the second time you guys do this because obviously <laughs> I want to preserve the sanctity of the marriage. Um, but if you want to redo it like that, I'm. This is. I will sign up for that type of a viewing. It's exactly the kind Just of come viewing on over. I'm, I'll be like, all right, I'm interested okay. in. We'll have the, the, the. And if I look away, I want you to be describing exactly what's happening. Okay, the, sure. He's being cut open. Like I want to know. I, I can had, do that. I called a friend and said and made them describe every part of like it too. Like I'm just like, and then what was it? And then what was it? And then what was it? It was extremely yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated. Mm-hmm. But I, for me, I I have like specific limits also that I think really relate to you know. I'm so glad you brought up that it's like this is tied to your anxiety because you know for me I know this is rooted in. When I was a kid, I, I've had terrible vision my entire life. I had crossed eyes, double vision, and then I got um, – and then I, I also am super nearsighted. So, like, the nighttime has always been really scary. You take your glasses mm-hmm. off. You put mm-hmm. them on the bedside table. I've never been able to see. And so, for me, like, the reason I can't tolerate a lot of horror stuff is because I, I – um, home invasion is my big one. Oh, sure, like, sure, sure, sure. And I just have been thinking that's happening my entire life. Yeah. But I'm fascinated you right. know, by it. But I just assume I'm like, everything is a, is a spooky being. Yeah. Every pile of clothes is a nightmare. So I also am d- very profoundly nearsighted. Like, without my glasses, I am. I will walk into walls. Like, it's, it's, a bad, it's a bad situation. And I also have a lot of anxiety around vision-based stuff. So, like, I don't know if you saw The Mummy, the Brendan Fraser, The Mummy, which I saw when I was a kid and I fucking loved. Um, but the part of that movie that scared the absolute shit out of me more than any other part was, like, when the guy gets the glasses, his glasses knocked off. Do you remember? Oh, my God. I don't remember this, but are you? Is it like similar to the classic Twilight Zone glasses? No, 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 no. It's way worse. It's way worse. What happens? So basically, there's like all these like roguish Americans who are trying to find the the mummy's treasure or whatever, Uh and they're sort of so. I have seen this movie, and I really want you to remind me of this part because I am so glad that (laughs) maybe you block this out (laughs) of the mummy. Bring it, bring it to me. So yeah, so then they're they're running away. I forget why, but they're running away, and there's one American who has glasses, and someone knocks into him, and his glasses go flying off his face, and then someone steps on them, and they're broken, and then they like leave the tunnel with their light. And it's just him. Oh, and he my God. like gets down and he's sort of feeling around on the ground. And can I can't, can uh, I predict something? Yes. Is it does he touch a mummy leg? No, he does not touch a mummy leg. He's going to touch a glass. At some point, he stands. At some point, he stands up and and of course he's like looking back and forth and then the camera it goes to the camera's POV and it's just blurry like he can't see in either oh, direction my. and then you hear a sound uh-huh. and then he's like and then he like kind of turns like th- this you know and it's the mummy is behind him uh huh there's and a mummy back there yeah there's a mummy behind him and then the next thing you see him his tongue and eyes have been cut out of his. Like I don't the, like this. It was, right. So this scene, more than any other scene in that entire movie, like I was so upset. It really haunted me. Is he me. alive? He's alive at that point, but then he's later killed. Um, he's later killed he by has a mummy. That's a, he has a really bad day. He has a super bad day. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, then, then at some point he like is then, the mummy comes back for the rest of him because he has to like kill him to consummate the curse or what? I don't even know. Anyway, it doesn't make any sense. But um, but yeah, so that that horrified me so badly that I actually have a horror story, which is not, it's going to be my next book. It's not in this, my either published books, called Blur, which is literally about a woman who goes to a rest stop to on her way to visit oh a girlfriend, God. 
takes her glasses off, washes her face when she goes to get her glasses. Her glasses are gone. Oh my god! And that's like I a premise like of the story. Up. I know, like because I was like this for me. Like horror is about. Like, good, successful horror is about, like, sort of tapping into whatever it is that, if it's something as simple as, like, I don't like not being able to see well, or, like, you know, um, like, Midsommar, like, the entire sort of crux of it is, like, having having a shitty boyfriend, you know? And also, like, grief and, like, other things as well, but also just, like, these very, like, relatable, very real, like, what does it mean to lose somebody? What does it mean to be dating someone who doesn't really see you? Like, you know, all these other, like, things that are, like, very, like, relatable with this sort of and then there's like the scaffolding of like whatever, in that case, folk horror, you know, or like body horror, you know, whatever kind of horror is sort of going to tap into that experience. And to me, that's what makes me, and that fucks me up like way more than like any kind of like jump scare or like whatever. What it's like, there's true like existential, like heart pounding, like sweating, right? It's like so. I'm so upset right now. I seriously, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. My mouth is dry. I feel, I feel so sick. <laughs> Okay, I have some questions about this. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean, like, when you are starting to write a story, mm-hmm. are you like, this is a fear I have, and here's how I can position that? Or are you just, like, writing, and it becomes clear to you what you're writing about? It just sort of—it de- depends on what it is. I mean, sometimes I start from an idea or, like, a place— yeah, it just really depends on the story, honestly. So, like, that story came from, I had read, there's a Shirley Jackson short story, which is not very well known, called The Tooth, which is about a woman who has an abscessed tooth and her husband puts her on a bus to New York City to go have a dentist remove it. And she's, like, taking all these painkillers and she's, like, in a lot of pain. And then this mysterious man sits down next to her and begins to talk to her. Um and the whole thing is, like, really nightmarish. And there's this scene later in the story where after she's had her t- the tooth taken out and she's been given, like, more drugs and painkillers by the doctor, she goes to a bathroom where there's a bunch of women, like, washing their faces and doing whatever. And she, like, leans over to wash her face. And when she stands up, she doesn't know which face is hers, like, in the mirror. Like, she can't figure out. And she says, like, she thinks, like, I hope I'm not that one. She looks awful. And then she, like, touches her face and realizes that's her face. Oh, my um, God. And it's, like, one of the scariest scenes, I think, in, like, any story literally in the history of, like, American literature. Like, it's so upsetting. And I talked to my students, and they also are very upset by it. So I was like, okay, it's not just me. Like, it's very upsetting. But I had read that. And then I was thinking about that story in terms of, like, pain and the way that, like, pain – like when, especially dental pain, like it sort of, it like focuses you really clearly. Like it's just like, it brings everything. And like, all you are is like one big throbbing tooth or whatever. Right. And then I was thinking about fear and like how, when I don't have my glasses on it, whether it's good or bad, like, I feel like it's like, it. You, I suddenly become like, I'm just this body. Like I'm not, there's no context around me. There's no anything. I'm just this single thing. And so then I was thinking about, okay, what, what would be a way that I could like interact with that story. So anyway, so so in the story, like a man, a mysterious man comes to her and then ends up convincing her to walk down the high the freeway with him. Um and so I you know so, so a similar character where he's like, is he good or ill? Like what is he what are his intentions? It's like he might be supernatural. It's sort of unclear who this man is. Um but it's like she has suddenly has no context and there's nothing outside of her body. So she must she sort of loses herself and then it's like I'm just gonna be like led. And the sort of the framework of it is like this was a story I wrote about also about like queer 
intimate partner violence. So like, there's like this sort of stuff around like her girlfriend. She's like afraid to get to, she's afraid to get to where she's going and to be late. And so there's just all this like anxiety sort of bound up in this, like, and then like, she's just this like body and everything is just like, everything is just, is just blurry. You know, there's nothing around her. Oh my God. So like that, <laughs> I just want to describe like, oh, <laughs> I just want to describe oh horror movies and horror movies. I know. Movies <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. I well, don't, uh, <laughs> I mean, what the heck? One time when I was 10, I lost my glasses in the ocean. Oh my God. That's, oh, that and my whole body just like convulsed. Like I, hair. like a wave. Yes. Thank yes. You. Here's some water. Thank a you. wave smashed onto my body and then I got up and my glasses were gone and I had such a high prescription even at that point that like, you know, you go to the place where it's like glasses in an hour, but then I would go there. They'd be like, this will take us several days. Yes. <laughs> so, it's like, what is, what has happened yeah, to you? Yeah. <laughs> so like I had a couple days of, I was in Florida with my family and there's even, there's like photos. Like we went to see my great grandmother who isn't somebody I often was seeing. There's like photos of me from this trip. And I look, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm doing the best I can. I look so like I'm having a completely different experience to everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you are. Yes. That's thing, you are having a different experience. Like yes. you're like you are not in the same context as everybody else in those photos. Yes. Like you are in some other slightly you're like half a half a degree in some different universe. Uh-huh. And you're you exist you're existing in this like middle space and like and I think that that is a way of thinking about like the body and the way in which the body can sort of fail you. And also the way in which the body is like pleasurable and wonderful. Like I feel there's different ways to experience this. Like I am knocked half a degree off of my axis. Like I'm not quite where everyone else is. Right. It's going to be like pleasurable or scary. But it like I think that. But for me that is like one of the most interesting things about like having a body and like being a human being. And so it's like what I want to write about. Because it just feels so. And it feels so ripe for horror. Like it feels so perfect. Well yeah. Yeah especially I mean. You know, even as you were talking about, like, the—you're talking about the tooth, I was thinking—I was thinking about Rosemary's Baby, and mm. I was thinking about, like, the—just because you said that this—in that story, the husband didn't go with her, so she's, right. like, on—did yeah. you say on public transit? Like on yeah, the she, like, puts her on a bus yeah, and sends her away. Yeah, yeah, so, like, I was imagining that sort of as it was relating to, um, you know, a Rosemary's Baby sort of a situation, which is also so connected, which then made me think about— you know, the shining and like, you know, what a, what a man's like, mm-hmm. like a man's fear is like, I'll go insane and kill you all or whatever, yeah. you know, whatever the message yeah. of that story, you know, or I'll be the boy, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter, whatever character you're inhabiting. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, our stories um, are so much more often from like a position of like we are in our bodies and those bodies are just so much more vulnerable. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's like the experience of being like female or queer or gender divergent or whatever. Like there's, there's just like this way in which we we're on the threshold. Like we're in a liminal space. Like to me, like liminality as like a way of thinking about writing and like what it means for writing to sort of slip back and forth between like a real place and a not real place. Like to me, like that is the experience of like, having a sort of a marginalized body or a body that isn't quite like that's just Wait, talk to me more is. about this. I need to understand what you're saying. Okay. Say it say it again in a different way. Sorry. As if I am a fresh born new baby. <laughs> oh okay. But that can talk and understand. Okay. <laughs> um so the idea of like so people are always like why do you write like what you write about what you write about? Mm-hmm. Like why do you use like these genres 
Hold on, wait, back up. Okay, this so like, so good. I feel great. I feel, I'm excited. <laughs> we're really getting, we're really getting our money's worth. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about okay, so genre. So like, so like, imagine, imagine that like, there's like a sort of a circle where like, th- there's different kinds of stories in terms of genre. And as you move around the circle, you're moving away from reality and then eventually coming back toward it. So you have, like, realism over here. Yes. Then you have, like, what they call, like, liminal fantasy, which is, like, like a ghost story where it's, like, everything is basically real, but then there's, like, a supernatural element that kind of pops in or there's, like, an element of unreality. Um, but ghosts aren't real is what you're saying. Yes. To me. Sorry. You're I guess- saying that to me. I just mean to – just to <laughs> confirm that this – Yes. Yeah, we agree. In this scenario. Those are fake. <laughs> I don't, I'm not scared of those because those right. aren't even real. Um, I guess, yes. So I've never even been scared of that. <laughs> Keep going. Um, and then you have, you know, more like sort of portal fantasy where you sort of start in one world and move to another, like Harry Potter. I've heard of it, And then yes. you have like epic fantasy where you're like immersed in another world and like our world is not related. Ooh, Lord of the Rings. Sure, exactly. I'm or naming like things. Yeah, no, no, you're something. right. You're totally right. Yeah, so and then like you move into sort of more, then you move into like science fiction and then you move into like historical historical fiction and then you actually return back to like reality so like ah. there's different sort of rules and expectations <laughs> this is fun keep going yes. uh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay okay um yeah so then basically like the, the and then that sort of tells you kind of like what you can expect like what kind of expectations a reader would have so like if i tell you I, this is a quiet realist novel but then like a dragon bursts through the window you'll be like wait a minute wait a minute you told me this was a quiet realist novel this is not there's rules that have been violated in some way in terms of like the expectations of the world so for me like most of my interest lies in that sort of first kind of notch off of reality so that sort of liminal space so like I, I've written some science fiction and I've written some historical fiction but I don't really do a lot of like sort of um, portal fantasy or immersive fantasy because it's just not really my like area of interest as a writer um, but I am really interested in that space where like we are mostly sort of operating within a framework of reality but there's something that's puncturing through and like lots of kinds of horror exist in that space where it's like ghost story or haunted house story or um, you know where there's just some element of something has like punctured through like something has popped through Something is not quite right. And we've sort of stepped across some kind of, yeah, like a threshold. We've sort of moved away from reality. Um, And to me, that feels akin to having a body where, like, your humanity is constantly being questioned or, like, your experiences are not sort of contextualized or your body exists in some, like, sort of space of not perfect health where, like, you know, you're having, like, a different kind of experience where you're, like, existing on some like like other kind of tweaked place from like other kinds of bodies. And I feel like that to me, those things feel like the same. Like they, whoa, 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 I hit my wow. microphone. That they feel like they're existing in the same space. And so for me, it feels like really natural to tie those things together because they're like, they just like exist. They're like the same structure. Like it's the <gasps> same kind of principle. This is, you're so calm. You're so smart. As you know, I don't have to tell you. <laughs> That was like genius. I mean, I really. I, it's not. I mean, that's just like, that's just like, I mean, that's sort of what I, I don't know. I, yeah. It's just a know. very interesting way of describing our experience that I haven't really mm. heard before. Yeah. It, exactly articulated yeah. that way. The it's thing like, of something puncturing, it, like, I, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. What were you saying? It's like. What? Oh, it's just sort of like, or like, I'm thinking about how, like, when I was like a teen and I. Did I was so not I so did not understand what queer that queerness was a thing that like I had a crush on a friend, but like didn't know what that meant. And like the experience of like having a feeling or a or a desire or whatever that like doesn't match up with any existing framework 
that you have been given is also a way in which you can achieve that like sense of like something is happening that I don't fully understand. And I feel alone back to this question about feeling alone where it's like, like no one's saying to me like, ah, yes, I've also had this experience. So like you just, there's this sense of like unreality or like you you're Yeah. So that also just, I feel like it's just like another like way of, I don't know, way of thinking. Yes. That, that that is. Yes. So what you're saying is (laughs) when you found out that you had a crush, you didn't then run directly through a wall at platform nine and three fourths (laughs) and then find a queer land where everybody's like, we're all, it just was part of your, I think I'm really getting this. Um, Here's just a follow-up question. What did you get on your SAT verbal? That is just I an actual I don't remember. question I truly don't that remember. I would like to. Can you go home and find out? I, I, I probably could. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. Um, I do remember I did really badly on the math that I do remember. I was not, I was not a math kid. Wow. My dad's a chemist, so it was like very heartbreaking to him. <sighs> I'm really sorry to your dad, but like, <laughs> could you please have him listen to the last five minutes of this? <laughs> No, he's actually very great and supportive. And at some point realized I was never going to be a chemist or a doctor or anything wow. like that. That I, I was like, I'm going to be a writer. And he was like, oh my God. You know, he was like very upset. Wow. But now he's, now he's okay. He's figured it out. Carmen, so. I feel upset. You didn't ask me what I got on my SAT verbal. <laughs> what, what, did the you, fuck? what did you, what did you get on your SAT verbal? I got verbal? a perfect score. Okay. I got a fucking perfect score. How is that? <laughs> how am I the, do you understand what I'm saying? No, I don't. Why, why would it, <laughs> this is your, do you see how she's so smart? I just keep looking at Jordan. Uh, this is genius what I'm doing over here. Um, I'm love. I okay. Wow. Um, what else do I want to discuss with you? Because I feel like I'm trying to figure out what the next. Okay. So, is there somewhere in like since you are consuming horror in other spaces, mm-hmm. is there somewhere that you feel like what you're describing? Like, is there, is there like a movie or a show or is there something that you've seen that you feel like is, because you talked a little bit about like essentially not inventing this, but adding to and following in a tradition mm-hmm. outside of the literary world. Is this something that you think has happened? Because I think it, it is, isn't sort of that we have spoken from like a female perspective, a queer perspective. Like I just mm-hmm. can't think of a like in the hor- in like horror film or Yeah, or TV. Like you know, it's so funny. I keep thinking about I, it's like my brain keeps going to bad examples, like examples of where it failed. Like I keep thinking, I, I never will forget. I don't know if you, I'm assuming you did not watch American Horror Story or have not watched it if, if you. Well, are. I've read every single synopsis. <laughs> so what are we talking about here? Well, there was, I think it was the second season. Was that Asylum or something? It was a while ago where there was that whole subplot with Sarah Paulson where she was like the lesbian journalist. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. Married to Claire Duvall. Ex- you don't have yes. to tell me who, what. what. I, yeah. What subplots? Are, I mean, I got very, about? I got very excited when I saw it. Like, I was like, I like lost about. I was like, Clay Duvall's. I was like, I'm really excited. And then, of course, was like immediately sort of crushed beneath the like. The, basically, it's like she because I was like, okay, it's really smart to take a like a season of a show which is based on this sort of real life horror, which is that like at a certain period in our history, we used asylums as he's like you know, catch all spaces for like people with disabilities and like queer people. And then also did shit like convert, try to convert like conversion therapy and like, and right. then, and they like do that. They like begin to get into that. 
And I was like, that's really interesting. I feel like they didn't really do that in the first season where like they're sort of using real life horror plots as a way of sort of pushing into and examining like how that, I was like, that's really smart. That's super interesting. And then this show like went completely off the rails and like became about like zombies and Nazi doctors and like ghosts and demons and nuns and like 50 other things and like completely lost the thread. And I remember being like, they were so close. Like, I was like, that was actually really interesting where like there was suddenly this, like I was like, I mean, it was very uncomfortable to watch those scenes with like Sarah Paul. Like that was like, like basically being like, take it from her home. Cleo all gets threatened to like not turn them in. She's just like trapped in this asylum and they're like making her touch. It was awful. It was awful. It was so upsetting. But then they just like moved away from that and like kind of forgot that that was a thread. And I was like very, and it felt like a really missed opportunity. Like I was like, man, like, that could have been so interesting and they really just sort of dropped the ball. And I, I feel like I, I see a lot of that where I feel like they get close and then they kind of like kind of get stopped at the end. Sure. That's, um, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, yeah. even just, you're right. That's, that is a really, what a, yeah, what an interesting thing to pull out. Nellie Bly, right? That's who was like actually yeah, 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 yeah. Um, institutionalized to then report on she, the, yeah. situ- the, the, um, conditions in yes asylums yeah 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 Nellie Bly well she was one yeah yeah she she was the, that sort of first one and like got herself committed and then reported on like how bad things were um and there were others obviously and actually I got really interested after that I actually got really interested in like the history of asylums in the United mm. States and the way like I actually ended up doing all this all this research on my own because I got like really interested in how that like the, the sort of the way in which that and also because that is a kind of that's its own like asylum Ba- like, like I don't know what you would call that genre, but like that—that that is its own kind of setting. That's right? another in, in one that's films. like really a full stop for me. You're if, like, I can't here's do what it. I don't like: it's a tray. It's got rusty equipment. <laughs> Get the fuck out of yeah, here! Yeah, 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 yeah. With that's, your tiny yeah. tray of rusty equipment. <laughs> Get the fuck. Do you like? Out of here. How do you feel about the dentist? Are you a? De- do you hate the dentist? I know. I'm fine with that. I'm actually fine. It's like I literally have goosebumps just thinking about this, though. And the other thing is like anything with aliens. Cool. I'm chill with that. Oh, but it's like, there's something about, well, you know what? I also had a ton of surgeries as a kid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like, we find, it's the stuff that like, we actually, I have not yet been abducted by aliens. And I think that's why I can watch that shit all day. And right, like, right, right, Go right. Ripley, go. But like, if it's just like a, a little bit rusty on the old <laughs> pliers or whatever the fuck, I'm like, God, it's too much. Um, that is... So funny. You know, actually, also, uh, have you read or seen the BBC adaptation of Fingersmith, the Sarah Waters? No, I, no, 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 I have not. It's just a, it's just like a, it's just, it's, I did love that, that novel was very special to me. (laughs) Oh yeah, the novel, (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly, that has like a, well, that, that novel has, um, some asylum stuff in it too, that specifically applies to, to queer Queer, folks and to Mm -hmm. women, so, Mm -hmm. anyway. But I feel um, like that's done really well, I don't know if I'd call yeah. that horror, but I think that, that no, it's not horror, but yeah, it's, it definitely uh, stuff I read to have a sexual experience is the yeah. is the genre I put it in. <laughs> yeah, I remember, I actually read that book was the first Sarah Waters book I ever read, and I didn't know it was les- I didn't know like she was a lesbian author. Like oh I think God. I just picked it up at like a yard sale or something, and so I was reading it, and then I was like, it's so I good. was like, wow, this feels really gay, and I'm getting kind of sweaty. And I don't know why, but like, oh, I was just reading into things, and then I kept yeah. going. I was like, oh wait, never mind. Yes. <laughs> It is funny when you pick up something that's called fingersmith and you're like, surely this isn't intentional. I'm like, she's just joking around. They didn't even, did anybody 
even realize this was the title. And then you read the book and you're like, like oh, oh, that yeah. was, oh yeah, they, no, yeah. she got it. She actually did get it. She meant what she said. Oh, um, so good. Yeah, it's really, yeah, that's really good. Well, this is, I wonder then, what, is there anything that scares you too much that you like can't tackle it? That's a good question. No. I mean, there are certainly things that scare me a lot, but nothing that I feel like I feel I can't write about. I was just thinking about how my most recent sort of foray into so the the comic that I have coming out that's coming out today, like um, part of the plot is about these the protagonists, these two queer teens waking up in a movie theater with no memory of having seen the movie that is now running rolling the credits like the credits are rolling um and I was thinking about that because when I first started writing the comic I had this other foot (laughs) foot surgery and I and I at that point I had not had surgery since I was a teen so it had been a while and the experience of like anesthesia and that that moment the way in which it, it you're it's just a clip like it's just like you don't even it's not like it's like you have dreams or it's woo like it's literally just like Boom. And then suddenly like, like a piece of your life, like hours have advanced, right? In the way that when you're sleeping, it's like that too, right? But like in sleeping, you at least dream or you might wake up during the night. But like with anesthesia, it's like boom, boom. And like a piece of your life has been neatly snipped away. And there was no way to get that back. Like it is gone forever. And so there's something, and I was like, well, that's horrifying. Mm-hmm. And then I also had had a dream that involved a movie theater and it's sort of hard to explain, but like a, a dream in which like I was in a movie theater and like, was still and pretending to be asleep while things were happening. So there was like thing, there was like all these different sort of narratives that I kind of combined, and then ended up writing the story in which like there's like sort of this part of the plot is that there's this like this um, this epidemic in this town where like women's memories just kind of get snipped away, and there's just like pieces that are missing and they don't know why. And so for me, like that was like a thing that was like really bothering me. And I also was thinking, you know, a lot about like sexual violence and like you know, ways in which memory and domestic violence and ways in which memory sort of, there is like this kind of, yeah, this effect of something is missing for whatever reason and how that's, something's like I'm deeply upsetting about that. And so I, yeah, and then when, so when I started working on the comic, I was like, that's actually what I want to write about is like this, at the, I mean, there's also, there's like body horror in the, in the comic. There's like monsters, there's like a deer woman, there's skinless men, there's all the other kind of creatures, but like there's, that is sort of the center for me is like this, this sort of essential, like existential horror of like something is missing from my mind and I don't know why and I don't know what was there before. Wow. Um, and that I think is to me like a thing that like, is very like recent horror for me that then when I tackled it in while writing the comic actually got to like work, work some shit out in my own brain. Cause I had to like write about it. Um, so yeah. You just throw the phrase skinless men out as if <laughs> it means nothing to you. It doesn't. I've seen Skin- now, I've, n- I've now <laughs> seen drawings of them <laughs> all everywhere. Um, so I, <laughs> you know, I, I, I I love I love what you just said there and I think um Yeah, I mean this is not something that I think I will ever experience, but it is also wild because like we can't we don't let ourselves remember um our brains are programmed so that we forget yeah. a certain amount of pain like if mm-hmm. once we yeah. pass a threshold. And I have had that experience post surgery where you like lose some time even after you're yeah. awake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it always makes me think about how childbirth cannot be something that that many women like actually remember. And I don't mean, oh. I don't mean like 
the moments, but I mean, you, you, I just know that we, our, our bodies don't let us remember that significant of pain. Like we just, that's otherwise, and also otherwise we wouldn't continue to do it. Nobody yeah. would have a second child if you could remember right, right. the first time. Um, and can, can I tell you a horrifying historical detail? Tell me. So I'm working on a new story about this real life phenomenon that happened at the turn of this early part of the century called twilight sleep, which was this phenomenon in which women, so Amer- it was interesting because American suffragists were we're protesting for it because they were like, we want to vote and also we want painless childbirth. And there was this procedure in Germany where women were given a kind of anesthesia, which they would not remember. It isn't that they wouldn't experience it, but they would have then no memory of the childbirth. So it was sort of like, like they wouldn't be making short-term memory during the, after this procedure would happen. So basically women would go into these like really nice hospitals and then they would suddenly, when someone would hand them a baby and be like, Here's your baby. Congratulations. And they would have, like, absolutely no memory of having delivered the child. But not that they didn't, they weren't awake, that they were conscious while it was happening. They had to have been. But they're just, their brain didn't make the memory. And they was, so a lot of suffragettes in the States were, like, really pushing for it. And there were, like, twilight sleep societies and stuff. And women were sort of like, we deserve voting and also painless childbirth. Or, like, childbirth we don't remember. Wow. And then at some point, a bunch of people died. And then at some point, they stopped doing it. Um yeah, anyway, so that was just like a really, so that's the thing that I, and I'm writing about it as a changeling story, so this idea mm-hmm. of like, you know, is a child that was handed to you really your kid or, you know, whatever. But I feel like there's something about, the, yeah, like this idea of like, like literally like being like, not only do I, do I remember any, I want to remember like none of it. And then that's like a good thing as opposed to being the most horrifying. Can you imagine if like you just suddenly like someone handed you a child and was like, congratulations, you had a baby. And it's like, I, I don't remember, like, I don't remember doing that I can't believe that you went ahead and adopted a baby brought that baby to the studio had it brought in at exactly this moment and handed it to me because that the amount of planning we're at 59 minutes and 57 seconds and I can't believe that you planned that yep because can you imagine there's a knock on the door Cameron yeah it's your baby that's two and a half remember when you had her yeah what And then you just, then you just, it's a puff of smoke. And I don't even know if you were ever here. And I was, and then all the, the recording is totally empty. It's like, it's like contact oh where it's God. just, it's just static. Oh, but it, but I'm You're Jody speaking Foster. To nobody. But I am yeah. in the recording. I am Jody Foster. Yes. Um, it is, it has been such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so Thank much you. for taking the time. Of course. And um, I, I'm, I'm so scared. I feel so spooked out and I can't wait to spend the rest of my day in this place. <laughs> I'm so sweaty. Everything is sweated through. Um, yeah. Congrats on, on all of your well-deserved success. And I Thank hope to you. see so much more from you in the future. Thank you. Um, before I send you back into your day, I was hoping that you would shout out a queero person, place, or thing made you feel like you could be who you are today. Yes. Um, so my queero is my friend, Anne. Um, Anne is amazing. Anne and I, so I met Anne when I first came to college and Anne was actually the person who came into school and was like, I'm bi, I'm here, I'm queer, everything is great. And I was like, I want to be like her. Um, and the way that she would talk about her feelings (laughs) and what she wanted and what she, like, I suddenly was like, like everything felt possible and she like helped me put language to stuff that I had. That, like, I, she's really the first gay person that I really knew, and 
was wonderful. And she was in my wedding and I was in hers. Um, so we've been friends for a long time, but yeah. Oh, Anne. Anne's the best. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me.